thing. There we go. And Merry Christmas Eve. My name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are so glad that you are with us tonight. This is the fifth Christmas week service that we've had. And I'm so glad that you've decided to take about an hour um, of your Christmas season to just stop um, and come to church. You know, I've only been detained in a communist country once in my life. Um, Several years ago, I had a chance to spend a week in Beijing uh, meeting with some folks who were basically helping people in far western China. They were taking water to villages that didn't have water and trying to figure out how to build schools and, um, and take medicine into areas where they didn't have it. And we were meeting with them, trying to figure out how we could help them. And then we, we flew down to Hong Kong. We stayed two or three days in Hong Kong to, to help people who were doing similar things all over Southeast Asia. And while we were there, I met somebody and he said, hey, have you, have you bought any gifts for your family yet? Have you got, bought a gift for your wife yet to take home from being over here? And I said, no, I haven't um, yet. And he said, well, man, you've got to go back to China. There's a place that's an hour away from Hong Kong, one-hour train ride. And he said, just over the border, they've got like any kind of designer clothing or purse you can imagine. They've got for like a dollar. Um, and I said, so, so like they got knockoff stuff? And he was like, no, it's like real stuff. Any kind of clothes or purses for like a dollar. And I thought, well... Why not? So I got on the train. I took it an hour north. Um, and as I was going through passport control, I handed my passport to the guy behind the glass. And he kind of looked at it. And he looked at me. And he flipped a few pages and flipped a few pages back and looked at it again. Um, and he said, stay right there. And he took my passport and he left. Um, and about 15 seconds later, a, an armed Chinese guard walked out of an office and came over and said, come with me. Um, and took me over and sat me in this little detention area all by myself in a place that was, that was nowhere. Um, and I, I literally mean nowhere. Like I could see a line on the floor that marked in the place where I was where Hong Kong was. So you could see the Hong Kong border. It was painted on the floor in yellow. And about 15 feet on the other side of me, the Chinese border was painted in yellow, and I was right between them, someplace I had never been before, wondering if anyone was going to welcome me back into um, an official place. And you know, as I read the Christmas story, like that's kind of the way it started, not in, not in China or between China and Hong Kong. They eventually came out after about an hour. Um, they explained to me that my passport had the wrong visa, that I had a visa that let me into China once, but not more than once, um, and kind of said, you're not allowed to come back in. And he, he literally said, go, go back to Hong Kong and don't come back. And I was like, all right, sayonara. And he's like, that's Japanese. I was like, well, close enough. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying here. I'm probably on a no-fly list now and can't go to China. Um, but it, it was an awkward hour. But as we get into the Christmas story, like that's the way it begins. Jesus comes to a place he's never been. Mary and Joseph end up in a place probably they'd never really been to. Um, and no one was welcoming, welcoming them in. I want to read to you tonight about the night before Christmas. And not the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Not that one. A night before the real Christmas. A night um, when a young lady named Mary, a young teenager, was pregnant and getting ready to give birth. Um, And she was traveling with her fiancé, a guy named Joseph, who was probably 19 or 20 years old. They were 70 miles from their hometown of Nazareth, down in a place called Bethlehem, a place they'd probably never been together, where they didn't have, it appears, any family or friends trying to figure out where they could stay. And they ended up on this night welcoming Jesus to the world. We read this story from a first century historian by the name of Luke. Luke researched and wrote a history of the story of Jesus' life, and he begins it on this night before what we celebrate as Christmas. And here's how he begins it. I'm going to read it to you. It's going to be on the screen behind it. It'll take less than a minute. 
It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room that was available to him. In 2012, I spent my first night in Jerusalem um, that I had ever spent. I was with nine men from our church, some members of our elders and our finance team, and we were in Israel to meet with ministry partners that we would partner with and that we still partner with to help plant churches um, and help people in poverty-stricken areas, specifically single moms in Israel. And when we pulled into Jerusalem and pulled up to our hotel, I walked up to the front desk um, and I handed over my ID to the lady at the desk and I said, here's my last name um, and we've got five rooms. And she kind of typed into the computer a little bit and she looked at me um, and she said, sir, we don't have any rooms here for you. And I thought, you know, ha ha, you know, that's a joke. All the Christians play. We come over to Israel. There's no room in the inn. Like I got it. I've read the story. I need my rooms. And she was like, no, seriously, we don't have any rooms for you at this hotel. There are no rooms available. I said, that's impossible. I got in my backpack and pulled out all my confirmations. And she looked at him and she said, yeah, we must have given your rooms away. Sorry. Um, and I said, what am I going to do? And she said, well, go, go eat dinner. Give us a couple hours to work on it. And we'll, we'll figure something out. They ended up finding two rooms that nine of us crammed into um, for a couple nights while they kind of sorted everything out. But I thought as I stood there at the hotel, like, you've got to be kidding me. I've come all the way from America and there's no room for me to stay at this hotel. Jesus had to be thinking something similar, right? I've come all the way from heaven and you don't have a room for me. That is the story of the first Christmas. It wasn't a practical joke for me. It was real and it wasn't a practical joke with Jesus. It really happened to Jesus in a place called Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. And I'm glad to know that this happened this way. You know, I'm glad that the Christmas story doesn't begin with the phrase, in a land far, far away. Or that the Christmas story doesn't begin with the phrase, once upon a time. Or that the Christmas story doesn't begin at a secret location somewhere in the North Pole. But the Christmas story begins at a real place, at a real time, under real circumstances. And I don't know if you know that, but that's actually a pretty big deal. It's, it's an important thing to know, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me say this. I don't say that as an accusation, that you're not something that you should be or that you're something wrong. I just say that as an identification. If you're here tonight and, and you wouldn't say, hey, I, you know, I, I'm not a Christian for one reason or another. I met a lady after one of our services last night who said, you know, I kind of grew up with faith, but 22 months ago when my husband died at 50, I ran as fast and as far as away um, as I could for God, uh, from God. Um, and I walked in not considering myself a follower of Jesus. Uh, maybe you've had a bad church experience or a bad life experience that has separated you from um, who you believe God is. Or may, maybe you've been raised in a culture where spiritual things are just not a part of life. Maybe like that phrase that I said, if you're not a Christian, maybe, maybe like 30 seconds ago is the first time you ever thought, Man, am I a Christian or am I not a Christian? Maybe you've never even thought about it before. But regardless, if you're not a Christian, Luke wrote this story this way for you. He gave you facts. 
He gave you real things that you could go check out and verify. He told you Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. He was. He told you Quirinius was the governor of Syria at the same time. He was. He told you they took a census of the area they ruled so that they could tax the people and make more money. They did that. And he told us that when they took census, people had to go from where they lived to where they were born. So if it would have been me, I'd have had to return to Portsmouth, Ohio, where I was born 38 years ago. Those things really happened. Luke loaded his story with facts. So that after you've checked out the facts of history and known that this happened, you could then maybe open your heart or your spiritual eyes to the spiritual facts of Christmas. And you could say, if this really happened and Jesus is who Christmas really says he is, then that changes everything. Have you ever opened your eyes to the spiritual facts of Christmas? If you have, you'll realize that spiritually speaking, Christmas is three things. First, it's a gift. Like Christmas is a gift. If you this week will give a gift or receive a gift, you're doing nothing more than was done on the first Christmas when God gave Jesus as a gift. And why did God give? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. Why do we give gifts? Because we love people. Because we want to bless people. I mean, that's why we give gifts that we want to give. All of us also probably are a part of gift exchanges we don't want to be. But for the most part, we give gifts to people we love and we want to give gifts to. And at Christmas, God gave Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest gift of all. As a matter of fact, did you know that a man named Paul who wrote more than half of the documents that we now have in our Bible as, as a part of the Bible called the New Testament, you know Paul said that if Jesus really didn't come at Christmas... Like if Jesus really wasn't God's gift at Christmas, if Jesus wasn't who Christmas says he is, then Christians are pathetic. His words, not mine. Don't be offended at me, please. He actually said in the 15th chapter of a letter to the Corinthian church, if Jesus isn't who he said he was, if Jesus isn't who Christmas says that he was, then Christians should be pitied because they've got it all wrong. So Jesus is a gift that's critically important. That means if Jesus didn't come at Christmas, then the stories of the Bible don't have a happy ending or even a great spiritual ending. You know, the Bible without Jesus is nothing more than a story about broken people living in a broken world who keep breaking it and making it worse. Like that is the story of the Bible. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's not a book that has a happy ending without Jesus. In the Bible, almost all the marriages fail. Almost all the kids always disobey. The bosses are awful. The employees are lazy. The government doesn't do enough to help its people. Nations collapse. Wars ensue. Spiritual leaders fall spiritually. Churches are built. Churches shut down. Even the temple eventually got knocked down. And at the end, kind of everybody dies. Like, Merry Christmas. There's a story of the Bible. I, some of you are thinking, that's the worst Christmas Eve sermon ever. And I would agree with you. But that's the story of the Bible without Jesus. Several years ago, Daniel and I started watching a, a television show called Lost. Um, it was a, a show that ran for six years, 121 episodes. Um, it was kind of a modern day Gilligan's Island or so we thought it, it was a, a, a television show about a group of people who, whose plane crash landed on this mysterious, magical, deserted, supernatural Island where like 
They survived the plane crash, but for six years you wondered, will they get off? Will they get their lives right? Will they all go get married? I mean, you know, they all learned so many things about themselves. And at the final episode, the 121st episode, at the end of six years, you get to the end of the episode, and you realize that basically they were all dead like the entire time. And it was just kind of like a purgatory thing where they were trying to figure out their, you know, what was wrong with their souls before, you know, they went into the afterlife. And as that last episode went off, I turned and looked at Danielle and said, that was the greatest waste of time that we've ever spent, like in our entire life. That was 121 hours of our life that we will never get back watching a bunch of dead people wondering like if they could get rescued and get off the island. Like what a waste of time. The Bible without Jesus is the same way. There's a story about a bunch of dead people who never get off the island. But the Bible is not without Jesus because of Christmas. And thank God, because I believe that every person who's ever thought deeply about anything in life believes there has to be something better than this life. There was a, a scholar, a poet, a um, guy who wrote songs and, and poems and history in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Solomon who became king of Israel. And he wrote a lot about spiritual things. And he said, you know, when you look deeply at life, he said, our worst days prove to us in our soul that there has to be something better. Solomon said, I'd rather go to a funeral than a wedding because at a funeral, I'm able to think deeply about the things of life. And I realize that my soul has not been created to deal with death or to enter death. There's got to be more than this life. But he said, even on the good days, on good days, I sit back and I think there's got to be more. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, one of the books he wrote, he said, God's made everything beautiful in its time but he said eternity in the human heart. Solomon said, even our best days, we get to the end of our very, very best days and we have this thought in our mind. Man, I wish this day would never end. Why? Because our hearts have been created for more than one good day. C.S. Lewis, who's one of the greatest scholars who ever lived and wrote a couple hundred years ago, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a lot of other things, said, when we find that the affections of the human heart continually cannot be met by the things on earth, we must then realize that the human heart has been made for more than existence on earth. It's been made for eternity. It's been made for something more. And Jesus is the gift that allows us to take part in this. And some of you say, okay, well, you know, Jesus was a great gift. And yeah, the the world is broken, I admit it. But but Christian, Jesus came and he went. This is 2,000-year history. And things are still broken. And my world's still broken. And I still have bad days. What did Jesus coming do if it didn't do anything for me? We need to understand you and I were not created for our best day on earth. You you and I were not created to just get through our worst day on earth. You and I were created for every day in eternity. And when we look at the Christmas story, Christmas is not just a gift. Secondly, Christmas is Jesus coming to a manger so you could go to a mansion. Let me say that again. Christmas is the story of Jesus coming to a manger so you could go to a mansion. The Bible says Jesus was born and he was laid in a manger, which is really not what we think of in our head. We look at this little wood with hay in in it. We look at this and we say, man, you know, that's not bad for a baby. That's not what Jesus was laid in. I took a picture of a manger from the first century, the last time I was in Israel. They didn't have wooden mangers. A manger was a food trough. And this is what Jesus was born in. I'm not sure whether Jesus was born in a cave. I'm not sure whether he was born in a barn. I'm not sure whether he was born in a stable. He was born somewhere around livestock because the only place to lay him down was the feed trough. And this is it. This is what they were 2,000 years ago. And Jesus came from heaven down to earth to be placed in that. And then 
History tells us that for the next 33 years, he lived his life, and he modeled a life of what it would look like for someone to live their life connected to God, loving people, taking care of their family, and and just being aware of hurts and needs in the world. He taught for a period of about three years of recorded history how to do that exact same thing. So he showed us how to live for God, then he taught us. He showed us how to love people and take care of our families, then he taught us. He showed us how to, how to love hurting people in the world, and then he taught us to do the same thing. And then the Bible says he sacrificed his life on a cross, and he was crucified, and he was buried. But after three days, he raised again. There's kind of a, a shout-out to Easter. For those of you who haven't been since Easter and won't be again till Easter, keep coming back at Christmas and Easter. We, you know, I, I don't discourage that. Come back between Christmas and Easter, too, because we're here every Sunday. But you can't tell the story of Jesus without Christmas or Easter. But then after 40 days... He left and he went back to heaven and he left us here and he kind of left everything broken. And you look at life and you say, man, Jesus came, he was born, but Christmas did not change everything, Christian, because everything is still broken. And you're right, Jesus left without fixing everything. But only after a promise to prepare everything in eternal life, which is where our souls have truly been created to reside, which is on our, why on our best day, we want it to last longer. And on our worst day, we think I was not created for this. Jesus had a bunch of friends that he spent time with. One of them was named John. And John wrote down a lot of conversations that he had with Jesus. And one day Jesus was talking to his friends and he told them, I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to leave um, and I'm not gonna be here anymore. And they said, man, how, like, how are we gonna live our lives without you? You're here to teach us. You're here to lead us. You're here to show us. And here's what Jesus said in the 14th chapter of John's book about Jesus. Jesus said to the, his friends who were worried, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm gonna come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How could we know the way? And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus had been teaching his friends that you were created to be connected to God. And one day in eternity, you can be connected to God. And I'm going to leave here, but the only reason I'm leaving is to prepare that eternity for you. I'm going to prepare you a room in heaven, a mansion in heaven. And then I'm going to come back and get you. um, And do you want that? And Thomas was like, yeah, we all want that. And Jesus said, great, see you there. He's like, wait a minute, how do I get that? And Jesus said, if you know me, um, it's good enough. I'm the way to get there. I'm the truth about what's really there. I am the life that you need eternally. Thomas, if you know me, you know enough. I came to a manger so you could go to a mansion. Christmas is a gift. It's the gift of Jesus in a manger. So one day you could go to a mansion. But Jesus says, I'm gonna go and then I'll come back and get you. When it's time, I'll come back for you. Which makes, thirdly, Christmas a rescue mission. Christmas is the time of year when Jesus came to retrieve what God wanted to be with him. I read a story about a lady named Colleen Dykeman a few weeks ago who lives on Long Island, New York. And she did what a lot of you will do who are mothers um, and wives this Christmas season. On a Sunday night, she made dinner for her family. 
She took off her engagement ring and her wedding ring and she set them right beside the sink while she made dinner and did the dishes and all that stuff. And then at the end of the night, there was a bunch of garbage sitting on the edge of the sink. And when she threw it away, she actually took her rings, her engagement ring and her wedding ring, and she threw them away as well and really didn't think about it. The next morning, as she woke up on Monday, hearing the trash man pull away from her house, she grabbed her hand, realized that her rings weren't there, raced downstairs, realized that her rings weren't there, realized she may have thrown them away, went to the trash can, saw that her husband had taken the trash out that morning and put it in the, in, in the dumpster so the truck could take it away, and she raced down the street in her pajamas after the garbage truck trying to get them to stop, which they did not. She ran back inside her house. She got in the car. She called her husband and said, meet me at the city dump. And she followed the truck all the way to the city dump. And when she got to the city dump, she told the guys, you don't understand my wedding ring and my engagement ring are in your truck and I need to get them back. And they said, man, we've, like, we've stopped at hundreds and hundreds of houses and we've compacted this trash so tight, there's no way. And she said, well, can, can I look? They said, Sure. And they dumped out all their trash from that day and her husband who had met her there and her one by one began to go through this compacted trash trying to find her wedding ring and her engagement ring. One by one, about seven of the sanitation workers began to join her as they watched her and her husband dig through trash. And for four hours, nine people went through every bag of trash that had been collected, compressed, and dumped out until one of them pulled the bag of trash out that had been in her trash can, opened it up, and found $5,000 worth of her engagement rings and wedding rings, and said, we found it. Of course, the news was called, a lot of articles written, but they didn't want to talk to Colleen and her husband. They wanted to talk to the sanitation workers. And here was the question. Why in the world would you dig through trash for four hours to help somebody that you'd never met? I mean, why would you come out and for four hours dig through people's trash for someone that you never met. And here's what one of them told ABC News. I could tell what they were looking for was really important to the owner. So it became important to us. You need to understand, God sent Jesus to a manger, to you, to a world filled with so much garbage sometimes because you are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. And he told Jesus, don't quit looking and don't come home till you found what I have given you, which is the people that I love. See, Christmas isn't just Jesus preparing for you. Christmas is Jesus pursuing you. And when Jesus finds you, you can trust him to take your life from where it is and to lead you forward. You can trust where he'll take you but only after you realize you need to be rescued. 17 years ago, Danielle and I loaded up a U-Haul on our last day of college in Virginia, and we headed to Kansas City. Stopped off at my mom and dad's in Ohio. We had a U-Haul, and then behind the U-Haul, we had a tow dolly, and we had the car that I drove in high school and college in 1994 probe. It was really cool back then, probably not so much now. Um, and we, we drove it across the country to Kansas City. As we were getting ready to drive around St. Louis, we took 70 to 270. A lot of you have driven, I mean, this exact road, you can see it over in your head. And as we began to go over the Mississippi River, there's kind of a double bridge there over the Mississippi. We went over the first one and the engine started coughing a little bit. And right as we got over the big, big, the big bridge span of the Mississippi River, literally the truck died. I mean, I told Danielle, as we were on the bridge, 
the engine just shut off. The dashboard went blank. And I told Daniel, something's like wrong with the truck. Tried to start it. It wouldn't start. Put it in and out of gear. Nothing happened. The the power steering had been gone. So I just wrenched the wheel as much as I could to, to kind of get us out of the flow of traffic. Got us as far as I could to the right. You could hear the brakes of the cars and the semis behind us locking up. You could see kind of the smoke as people's tires were gritting, kind of grinding to a stop behind us. You could hear people honking their horns. And as we kind of came to a stop there over the Mississippi River, I looked at Danielle and I said, this is like, this is not good. Um, So we got to get out, like we got to get out of this truck because I could just see someone hitting someone and it leading to a line and them pushing our truck filled with our life and us in, into the river. And I said, we, like, we got to get out of the truck. And I looked out my side and there was no way we could get out my door because people were just flying by us at 70 miles an hour. They were honking their horns and waving with one finger. And you know how they do when they're upset at you on the road um, as if I was just stopped there for a smoke break or something. It's like, you know, obviously something's wrong. So I told Daniel, we can't get out my side. We're going to have to get out your side, but we got to get out of this truck. And she began to open her door and I had pulled so far over to the side. We were on the bridge over the Mississippi that only has a rail about two feet high. And as she opened the door, she looked down into about 60 feet of the Mississippi River. And she said, Christian, we can't get out this side. Like we, we will fall in the river if we try to get out my door. And she shut her door and I looked at her and I said, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I had no idea what I was gonna do. And as I was thinking, God, you gotta help me. The semi pulled past us. It whipped into our lane, I mean, almost so close that it hit us. It went about 300 yards in front of us and it slammed on the brakes. Then I saw its reverse lights come on and this guy must have backed that truck up at 60 miles an hour. And he literally, he came to a stop about a foot from my bumper. He jumped out of his car, kind of hugging his truck, ran around the back of his truck and said, stay there. And I saw him lay down between his truck and my truck and he pulled a cable out from under his truck. He put it on the axle of my truck. He stood up and said, put it in neutral and stay off the brake. And then he ran back to his truck. He jumped in it and he pulled us across the bridge over the river, about a quarter mile down the road to the little rest area that's just off to the the Missouri side of the Mississippi River there in St. Charles. He got out, he unhooked us, kind of said, be safe and was gone. That was it. It's like, man, thank you, God, for sending someone to rescue us. Now, some of you are thinking, how in the world could you be so dumb to run out of gas over the Mississippi River? That's a good question. But the reality was I never knew I was out of gas. As my truck kind of coughed to a stop, I look at the gas gauge, and it was frozen between a quarter tank and a half tank. And I would realize later that's the lowest that it went. The gauge had misled me to think that I was not at a place where I needed to fill up or ever be rescued. And the reason some of you have not allowed Jesus to connect to your life yet is because you're looking at some faulty gauge, money. You're looking at your age, you're looking at your health, you're looking at your success, and you're thinking, there's just no need for me to connect to anything spiritually right now. I've got so much left in the tank. But I can't tell you how many people have found themselves on the bridge between the natural and the supernatural on their best day, wishing it would last longer, on their worst day, not understanding how they're gonna make it through and needing Jesus to pull them to the other side. It's interesting, not only was I rescued, but I was directed. I didn't ask that man when, when he said, throw it in neutral and don't touch the brake. I didn't say, well, where are we going? How long is it gonna take to get there? Can we stop and get a snack? Like at that point, 
it was wherever he wanted to go. If he would get me off the bridge, he could take me wherever he wanted me to go. And when we say yes to Jesus, it's with a trust that wherever he's taking us is better and safer for us than where we currently are. Do you know that every Christian who is a Christian didn't used to be a Christian? Let me say that again. Everyone you know who calls themselves a Christian at one point was not a Christian because you have to choose whether or not you want, the word Christian means a follower of Jesus. You have to choose whether or not you're gonna allow Jesus to connect to your life and pull you forward where he wants to go. That's your choice and and only your choice. And anyone who calls himself a Christian at some point in their life had to think about who Jesus was and whether or not they would follow him and whether or not he could guide them. Every Christian that you know, including the greatest ones you've ever heard of. I don't know that there's been a more influential Christian in the world the last 50 years than a man by the name of Billy Graham. But even Billy Graham had to decide one day whether or not he was gonna follow Jesus. Just this week, I I ran across this decision card from Billy Graham. A decision card is a card you fill out on the night you decide to become a Christian. From November 1st, 1934, eight days before his 16th birthday, Billy had to sit in some place like this in a little town in North Carolina and hear about a Jesus who he did not know at the time, but who he would go on to tell hundreds of millions of people about for the rest of his life. And he heard that he could be rescued. And I don't know if he came forward, if he raised his hand, if he stood up, I'm not sure what he did, but I know he said, this is true of me, being convinced that I'm a sinner. And believing that Christ died for me, I now receive him as my personal savior. And with his help, I purpose confessing him before men. You know what Billy was saying in that decision card? I'm convinced I need rescue. I believe that Jesus came to rescue me. I'm gonna trust my soul and my past and my future and my eternity to him. And I'm not sure whether or not I can live for Jesus, but if he'll help me, I'll try. That's what that decision card said. And tonight, I want you to understand Christmas is your gift from God to connect to him if you've never done it. Christmas is Jesus taking a manger so one day you could have a mansion. Christmas is Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth so one day you could leave earth and go to heaven. Christmas is Jesus coming down so you can go up. Christmas was and remains a rescue mission. You say a rescue for what? Hebrews 9, 27, it's a Bible verse, says people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Are you ready for that moment? I'm not talking about death. Like none of us are ready for death. Judgment. Are you ready at some point in your life if what your soul feels is true, that there's something more? Are you ready to stand before God? Are you connected to him? Have you accepted his love? Do you feel like you're okay with him? Because one day that moment is going to happen. And Christmas is the time where you can connect to Jesus so you can connect to God. So when you stand before him one day, he says, man, I'm so glad Jesus found you. The day he was digging through the garbage of this world, I'm so glad he found you because you're so valuable to me. You know, if you're here and you say, I don't know if I'm ready to meet God. I don't know if I'm a Christian, but I, man, I want to be. You can do that before you leave this room tonight. You can connect your soul to Jesus this Christmas Eve and trust where he'll lead you. Say, how do I do that? You just pray. So maybe you want to do that right now. Would you all in the room right now, would you just bow your heads?